episode we are going to be talking about Elysium directed by Neil Blomkamp. I think that's how you say it. I hope that's how you say it. I'm pretty sure that's how you say it. I'm really sorry if it's not how you say it. It's fine. I I accept your apology, I guess. Uh, on behalf <laughs> on of behalf Neil of... <laughs> maybe Blomkamp. Yes. What if I got Blomkamp right and I was saying Neil wrong? That'd be interesting. It's, it's no. That would like, be very uh, It's now. Be very embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> um Let's just go. We should probably good... talk about this movie. Yeah. Yeah, normally test the audio. That's fine. We'll do it live. Yeah. I'm the one who has to edit this. This isn't any of your problem. Let's just go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, Elysium. So, uh, I guess the first little bit of context I would give this movie uh, is that this is this is the director who did District 9. This is the director who would go on to do Chappie. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, I I would say, in my opinion, this is this is really the, the beginning of the end. Of that three movie arc, <laughs> yeah, yep. It, it's not. It's not actually. It's not actually that bad. I would say I was. It, it's, it's very solidly, middling. Solidly the the middle good movie of the three movies. Yeah. Have have any have any of you actually seen Chappie? Yes. Oh God. That was that, a that yes was from my Justin, yes. I purposely have not. I saw half of it, which is not something I say about many movies. Uh, as in, like, you literally were like, no, I'm done. I, it, yes, but the context is it wasn't, like, in a theater. Like, I didn't, like, walk out of a theater for it. It was, like, right. at, like, a party. So it was, like, yeah, like, I stuck around for, like, the first half, and it just wasn't really doing it for me. And it was the kind of thing where I, I felt like that barrier to exit was, was much lower than it would normally be. Yeah. Like, I probably wouldn't have stopped if I had, like, sat down at home by myself to watch it. I wouldn't have been, like... Ah, screw this. I'm going to do something else now. Yeah, anyway. exactly. It was really more of like a, yeah, like it's, I could be watching this movie. It's not really doing it for me or I could be hanging out with some people. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, I I would say if I had to pick like one way to describe it, I would say heavy handed. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's basically set in the present day. More or less. Yeah. Have you been to Los Angeles? <laughs> uh, Surprisingly topical. I will. I, I'll say that. Yeah, I would say that's one of the sad things about this movie is I, I to his credit, he picked something that I think is going to be topical forever. <laughs> yeah, like yeah. it was heavy handed and, and like pretty topical when it came out and it just hasn't stopped being topical. Yeah, it's just the, you know, keep going. Is, at that point, is something topical? Because if it's, I don't know, I feel like topical would, would imply that it's like the thing of the time. Well, see, you know, like the, I mean, that's the thing, the the themes of Elysium of 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 oligarchy and and you know global disaster and like those things like they're perennially perennially topical. They, oh, I just I'm talking about healthcare, Justin. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I I thought it was way more about uh, immigration and like uh, like distribution of capital. And uh, the, like, kind of fundamental human rights that theoretically, you know, all human beings should be, should have, you know, a right. Continuing my list probably would have been helpful. Yeah. So one thing, I mean, we've talked about this in recent episodes also, uh, and this happens a lot in movies, and I think specifically a lot in Matt Damon movies, is the, like, so this is a film that does deal a lot with, like, immigration. It takes place in, is it a future Mexico City or just some 
like outskirts of Mexico City, somewhere in Mexico. No, I think it's LA. Right? Because it's future LA. Is it LA? And they're saying that it was just it's just that's how it's evolved. Yeah, it's it's allegorical Mexico. Okay. We can't actually call it Mexico. That would be offensive. <laughs> like, is genuinely my take on on why that was. <laughs> Slash, we needed to put a white person in there so you could relate to it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. So that was my thing because like. If we're talking about the entire community, like 100% of the community that you see him in, Matt Damon's character Max in, is, like, they're all Spanish-speaking, and they're all, like, presumably originally, like, ancestrally from Mexico, if we're talking about a future L.A. Um, and yet, we have another kind of, like, white savior situation going on, where... It's like Matt Damon is like like is coming. I mean, given like his character grows up in this environment too, along with these other characters, but he's like the only white person we see who's not on Elysium. I want to say, and then or who except for the factory, like the only person like in his like living environment, basically, um, of like. Of his, like, social group, who he's not forced to interact with at uh, his job. Um, and it is a story that is largely about immigration and, like, class divide and stuff. And yet, he's kind of the one who fixes it all. Given that I do think, like, without going to spoiler territory, I do think that they have other characters playing really important parts. But the fact that they need him to, like, spearhead the entire thing and, like, be the centerpiece... I, that always kind of bothers me when they need a white person to be like the main savior. Yeah, because I mean, you could you could easily have flipped. Um, and now I'm gonna forget names. Matt Damon, not talking about characters. Um, Matt Damon and and I mean, it's what Julio, right? Oh, Diego Luna? Luna's character. Yeah, Diego yeah. Luna. Like you could flip Matt Damon and Diego Luna in this movie, have them playing their you know each other's characters. And nothing would change. I The one thing that I would say is I don't know if it's purely from a star power perspective. I well, think that I mean, I, yeah. and, and I know that that's like a whole different thing and a different or a different conversation about like, well, but then there are, say, Latino actors who would have like filled the role better in that case. But it really I, I genuinely wonder because I was thinking about this while I watched the movie. If Elysium were made literally today, mm-hmm. uh, real talk, would they have just cast Diego Luna? Probably not. In Matt Damon's role. I, I mean, I still firmly... I mean, listen, Matt Damon, in a movie that came out a couple months ago, played a, a white guy who saved the Great Wall of China. No, China. no. I was going to say, yeah, before we get too far into that, my understanding is that's not actually how that movie No, the, the, the... No. He's very specifically was cast in the movie to bring in a white audience to a to a Chinese film. That was a decision made by the production team on the movie. And uh, furthermore, his character is not the, the primary hero of the movie. It's actually... Uh, a Chinese woman. Okay, so it's advertised that way to bring in the American audience, yeah, which is very, unfortunate. Yeah. No, very specifically, it's very specifically, I mean, yes, people are up in arms because they think it's another, like... Right, it looks like an American-produced action movie with a white guy saving a bunch of Chinese people. Yeah, like, but that's, that's not actually... By all appearances, what it is. That's, But that's not actually what it is. It's actually the, the, the Chinese filmmakers saying, we want to bring in a Western audience and casting a familiar white guy face to lure them in and then making all of the actual heroic stuff done by Chinese actors. And it's sad that we need that. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah I feel like that's the real tragedy here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all well and good that it is better. This is the first I'm hearing of it, probably because I heard the movie itself wasn't ultimately any that or actually that good. I heard it was pretty fun. I mean, to be fair, pretty fun is not enough to put my ass in a seat. So I didn't know much more than that. So I, I heard. I think we're in. Yeah, similar I heard middling things. And I didn't follow up on it, but like nobody, yeah. like I heard everything about it when it was coming out, and I heard exactly nobody speak to the actual film once it hit. Yeah. But anyway, we, we yeah. still live in a in a in a world where that is necessary, right? So that point still furthers the fact that if Elysium was made today, Diego Luna would not get to star in it. A white guy would. Maybe. Yeah. I mean. Okay. So. This is interesting watching Elysium right now, right? When Rogue One has already been in theaters and is about to come out on a uh, like Blu-ray and stuff. Um, I I okay, I love Diego Luna. I've had like a massive crush on him since like the beginning of time, um, and I think it's kind of a shame his character doesn't play more of a role. Like I almost wish I could see him. Not that I didn't like the actor who played Spider, but like in a role that was as important, at least, as Spider's role, if we're talking about secondary characters. Um, and I actually think that Diego Luna probably would have done a much better job with um, the role of Max than Matt Damon did, just because I think he's a better actor. Um, but it's also, yeah, it is interesting asking that question about like the question of casting and race when Diego Luna is the male lead of Rogue One. Uh, another massive or actually a much more massive sci-fi film uh and i don't know i mean i would like to think that because of films like rogue one and this general trend that we're seeing that we are kind of moving into a time when we'll see more minority leads instead of just like we we have to have the lead actor be a white person specifically like a white man and then we'll like bring diversity by you know, making less important characters, minorities, but it's kind of hard to say because I feel like it yo-yos back and forth a lot. I, I feel ridiculous saying this considering the rest of the movie, but I wonder if it would be a concern that uh, casting a, uh, like a, a Latino actor in the role of Max would be too on the nose, which is weird for the rest of this movie, which we're going to get into later because holy shit. Um on the nose, it's just an accurate descriptor. Really. Yeah, exactly. But if the idea was like, well, we want to make like the, uh, we want to make that kind of Earth population seem more diverse, so it's not like too obvious that it is intended to be allegorical Mexico. I mean, because I feel like that's the big thing, right, Cleo? When you were talking about like where you were like just pretty sure that it was set in Mexico, I think by all accounts it is intended to like that is what you're like meant to understand about that yeah, is I mean, this is without them telling you explicitly yeah i mean this is sci-fi el norte staple of high school spanish classes <laughs> um but yeah so i don't know it was uh like i it makes me wonder if that would have been part no of it. i can I, I can i think that's the kind of thing that would keep like this screenplay right from that role never really going to because then it is it it's even more like way too on the nose with the the like topic of systemic racism right i feel like there then the solution would be to do kind of the inverse of uh cleo what you were saying where you would cast a like a a white lead and then minority actors in like supporting roles where you would just go the other way where you would cast say like hypothetically diego luna in the role of max and, and a bunch of white guys well and say someone like or even just matt damon say in 
the role of Julio. Don't change the name. Keep it Julio. Commit hard to that. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, something like that. Like, I wonder if there would have been kind of some other interesting ways to do something like that. Uh, almost like the, I don't know, to pull in you know, something that I you know, literally started playing you know, within the last like, 12 hours. Um, but the way that something like Horizon Zero Dawn does it, where at least in the first, you know, 90 minutes of the game, uh, there are people of all sorts of different races and no one has like fuck all to say about it. They're just like, yep, everyone looks different. It's the future past just the way it is and you know do something like that and just commit like really hard to dropping the like really heavy like mexico allegory or let's even just say like they call it what it is it's not necessarily mexico it's south and central america Mm -hmm. um drop that allegory and try and make the themes maybe a little less on the nose politically today and more broad and universal i wonder if like something that could be kind of an interesting way to clear some of that up it's a weird co- to conversation to have pre-spoilers. Yeah, we got way into <laughs> remaking this movie. <laughs> Which, I, I jokes aside, though, I, I feel like is the big thing I couldn't really stop doing while I watched it. Because I was saying uh, to you, Corinne, the other day, we were talking about, we were talking about this and how I said it, the movie really kind of surprised me. Not in the amount that I liked it. I would say I liked it about the amount I expected to like it. Um, which is to say medium. Uh maybe medium rare um but (laughs) that it was it was not necessarily the movie that i expected it was somehow even more heavy-handed than i expected um i mean not that it more that i was expecting it to be pretty heavy-handed and it was even beyond that just blew past it oh my god um but there were also a lot of things to it where i was like no like the basic like plot structure of some of this i feel like is actually way more interesting than i thought it was going to be um not actually interesting yet and the heavy-handedness really hurts that um and way too many of the scenes devolve into like matt damon gun sword fights kruger um which was disappointing for me uh but like the basic structure and just the certain it feels very like borderline cyberpunk in some of the more interesting ways that you can get into cyberpunk stuff which i think is Kind of a, was kind of a neat thing that I wasn't really expecting. Um, makes some sense when you look at some of the big ideas in the movie. And I think that's a really cool place to draw from. And I really kind of wish that I, I kept thinking about the movie. I was like, okay, what if this had been like a bit less heavy handed in this way or that way or that way? Um, it felt like a very different way to imagine that very uh, typical cyberpunk setting of kind of like the highly technical underground um, and, you know, body modification and... Um, I mean, it. the first half of the movie is a heist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I guess kind of like the second act, roughly, is is a heist. Um, third act, kind of an infiltration thing. It feels, it feels like, on paper, the big beats actually could have been way more interesting than I feel like I found them being. So I had a really hard time after this movie not just sitting there being like, oh, man, like how, like, how could I rework this in such a way where you could like double down on those parts that were really interesting, make the allegory like less on the nose, less beat you over the head with it and potentially take the same basic structure and make like a more interesting movie. And that's kind of what I was coming down on. Like there's a good movie in here and it's just, it it just needed more work. Like there were, you know, if, if, if everything it was trying to say wasn't so in your face and if the, even for me, like 
the third act starts off in, in an okay place and then devolves repeatedly into too much action, like for the sake of action, right? Yeah. And like even just like pulling back on the themes a little bit and and keeping the the action minimal, less, you know, hand-to-hand crazy fighting, less future guns, like just stick with the minimalist approach that the first two acts had. This would be a way better movie even just for those minor changes. Yeah, one interesting thing that I did, which wasn't really on purpose, but I took a break from what I watched Elysium like back when it first came out. And then this is my second time watching it. Um, and this time, like I took a break somewhere around the halfway mark just because like I had a pause for a while. And in between stopping it and then starting it again, I watched Mad Max Fury Road. <laughs> um, and like going back. That sounds like a fantastic movie. <laughs> First half of Elysium, Mad Max, second half of Elysium. <laughs> like, that sounds great. That's the way they should air it on TV. It was interesting because, like, going back to Elysium after Mad Max, like, the action sequences felt kind of boring and dry to me. Like, and it, of course, given, like, Fury Road is going to spoil you for pretty much almost like any other action movie, um, considering just, like, the, the, the fight choreography and, like, just everything about that movie is really amazing and engaging. And I didn't feel super engaged with a lot of the action sequences in Elysium, which I don't, it's not usually a problem I have with like action sci-fi films. Usually I'm interested enough in like whatever kind of, even if it's like a gimmicky thing they're trying to do. But one of the problems I specifically had was that I feel like one of the main cells for Elysium is the exoskeleton that Max wears. Like that's the thing that was highlighted in all the trailers. They kind of make it seem like a really big, like it's like the main thing. It's kind of the thing that carries the plot along. But I wasn't super impressed by like what the exoskeleton allowed him to do. And exoskeleton, like military exoskeletons, are something I actually studied very briefly in grad school. Um, and they, there's a lot of really interesting ways you can take that kind of as a plot device like in what you you know what the the questions it brings up um you know what abilities it could potentially give you but i I just felt like he was like somewhat stronger and like he could like he had some precision abilities but that were kind of vague and it looked really gross and it was like really oh oh, here's my main problem they put it on over his fucking t-shirt so it's like does he just never he would he would never be able to take that fucking shirt off again like, he's wearing this gross, sweaty, bloody shirt under... And that bothered me, that he was wearing this exoskeleton over his fucking gross, grody-ass t-shirt. He could cut it off. I mean, probably. Like, yeah. after he's done... No, you're giving this even even more credit than it deserves. I'm going to say 50% of the notes I took about this movie are in regards to the exoskeleton over the shirt problem. <laughs> because you will notice that the shirt appears surprisingly intact for something worn during surgery it is there there are no visible holes in the shirt where the exoskeleton attaches to him the surgery sequence seems to be going like directly into his body it makes no sense i i suspended my disbelief for a lot in this movie but the exoskeleton shirt conceit i it it breaks down pretty fast i agree a hundred percent with cleo (laughs) It just doesn't seem necessary for it. I don't know. Like, exoskeletons, even, like, with the technology that's being developed now with them, it doesn't make sense for it to be permanently attached to, like, your nervous system and skeleton. Like, you would have implants, potentially, that would hook up to the larger skeleton. 
but to have it literally just be like, okay, we're gonna slap my, and I was watching, I made my mom and my aunt watch this with me, because we, like, watch shows and stuff, and I was like, I gotta watch Elysium, so you're gonna watch it with me. And my aunt said that it looked like someone had slapped an office, like, hit him with an office chair, and it just stuck, like, to his back. <laughs> I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's... That's pretty accurate. It's just... They they do nothing with it, right? Even the yeah. conceit that ex like exoskeletons in sci-fi in general, right? They they do something, and it felt like the entire point of this was to like make it so that he wasn't you know weak and hobbling around because of the radiation. Like we're literally we we're gonna come up with this plot device to make you function like a normal human, as opposed to using this thing to to you know give you more combat prowess or to make you more able to do things or or whatever it's like they they could have easily been like here's some hand wavy pill that will make like the pill they literally gave him they said this will yeah. make you fine until you literally die that's it yeah. like you'll be perfectly fine and then you'll die you're still going to die but these pills will make it so you don't know you're dying yeah. and then that just doesn't happen at all instead they're like oh we're going to slap this exoskeleton on you yeah I really feel like that was a letdown. I agree. Because I, I, especially, uh, to like, I think one of the first things that you said, Cleo, where I completely agree, it's, they, it was very much sold as, like, this is the cool thing in this movie. Yeah. Um, that just really wasn't the case. I, I, I don't know. Which is not the end of the world. The exoskeleton being cooler would not have, like, made me really like the movie. No. But it did feel like kind of a weird setup with no no meaningful payoff. Yeah. I, I agree. It was kind of weird. I kept waiting for there to be, like, moments where... Because it was established that the pills should have been working, but they weren't. And it was established that he was, like, barely able to function and he needed the exoskeleton for that. I kept waiting for, you know, if not the super-powered aspect of it, the sort of, like, like cold machine aspect of it where he's like slouching against his own frame but the machine keeps moving him yeah and they didn't really play up that either yeah i thought that would have been cool that would have been, that would have been a neat angle to go like he's barely doing anything but his brain is still sending signals to the to the frame and so it's, it's moving, moving him. him yeah like yeah he's moving but he's visibly exhausted or weak or whatever like that would have that would have been sort of hanging there yeah i mean i feel like not fully, at least not for most of it, but... Yeah. Yeah, but, like, a scene where, like, it's really getting to him or something. Like, as, like, he runs out of pills sooner or something like that, and then, yeah. like, in the very end, he's, like, being... Yeah, that would have been really cool. I mean, spoilers for the end. Nothing really interesting <laughs> happens with the exoskeleton, I guess. Might want to hit the spoiler <laughs> Yeah, we're, we're, we're past when we normally hit it anyway, and we've just been... we just been Dipping going. into the later parts of the movie, so, like... And we're not even into, like, the proper details so does anyone have anything else we want to say pre-spoilers would you recommend this movie not really no um i mean if you're the kind of person who likes sort of like b-grade almost their conceptually action sci-fi movies which i feel like is a fairly broad genre yeah um you you might have a good time with this. There's some interesting camera work a couple times, which I thought was neat. Um, and that's about all I have to say about that. So you might like it. I mean, there there are worse ways to pass two hours, I guess. Sure, maybe. yeah. But there are also better. <laughs> yeah. I'd say if if someone's asking me for a list of like action sci-fi recommendations. 
and like they've seen everything else I mentioned on the list, yeah, go watch Elysium. It's not like I love District Nine. I would say watch District Nine first. Um, and if you're looking for a really good action sci-fi film, just fucking watch Fury Road. <laughs> Again, if you've already seen it. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I keep going back to, I think the, the first thing that you had said clear when we, when we brought up Elysium as potentially fitting into the, the syncopated worlds topic of, uh, is just like, like that you had seen it when it came out and it, it was enjoyable enough. And I'd say, yeah, I, it's probably in that realm. It's enjoyable enough. I wouldn't call it a good movie. I wouldn't call it like super fun or like super enjoyable, but you know, it, it's enough to be fine, I guess. I mean, I I didn't at any point actively want to stop watching it, right? I didn't I didn't hit a point where I was like, ah, oh, this is just no, I can't do this like that, yeah. you know? Yeah, you know, none of which is great praise. Like, I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and you know tell someone to actively go and seek out the movie either. But you know, it was it was fine. You know, it was. But yeah, I I think my biggest like active like issues with the movie uh, we're going to get into in the spoiler break because that's it is it is the heavy handedness and specifically some of some of the ways that 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 comes across at a certain point there's some very serious scenes that i found hilarious so those weren't fun uh i I just i i'm only thinking of the one moment at the end where we laughed so hard yeah i think i know what you're thinking of (laughs) probably Uh, you you i would expect would would, fantastic yeah. yeah yeah uh well so cliffhanger for that and find out what we're talking about <laughs> well, after let's the spoiler. just jump right into that after the spoiler break. yeah let's do that um but so for now though uh next episode is going to be the play episode for uh syncopated worlds it's gonna be bioshock infinite uh that'll be that'll be neat uh part of the bioshock collection if you're looking for a way to to get your hands on that then after that will be the topic episode and after that we will be moving on into our next topic digital romance we are going to be reading Crosstalk by... Oh, who's Crosstalk by? Connie Willis. Connie Willis. Crosstalk by Connie Willis. We are going to be watching that one episode of Black Mirror. Um, <laughs> San Junipero. I, I maintain that we really should uh, just call it, just that, call one it that one episode and see if anyone can guess. Redacted. If you, can, if you watch the wrong one, then you're going to be very confused. <laughs> uh, so we're going to be watching San Junipero, an episode of Black Mirror season... Two? Three, two? two or three. I don't know. Is there a three? Yeah, I, don't I don't know. I can't remember. Um, uh, so that one. Uh, and we are going to be playing Emily is Away, uh, which I don't know. It's going to be a fun one. It'll be a little bit different for us. Yeah. I mean, not too different. It's all still sci-fi. Yeah. God. <laughs> We've been in a bit of a two-year-long run. <laughs> 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 uh, uh, anyway. Uh, so yeah, so that'll be fun. Uh, but anyway, next episode, Bioshock Infinite. Stay tuned for that. After that, a topic. Now it's time for the summary. Well, it's me. Time for more me. In the year 2154, Earth has been largely depleted of its resources. While most of its population still makes do on the planet, the richest members of society have left for a space station called Elysium. On the streets of Los Angeles, Max, an ex-car thief on parole, makes his way to work. On his way, he's pulled aside by a robot peacekeeper who throws him to the ground, breaking his arm. When Max goes to the hospital for his injury, he is treated by Frey, an old friend who he hasn't seen in years. Later, while Max is at work at a factory that builds robots similar to the ones that accosted him earlier, 
A girl with crutches and her mother are loaded onto a shuttle bound for Elysium along with a group of other people. The shuttle is one of three attempting to illegally take Earth citizens up to the station. On Elysium, Defense Secretary Delacour is informed of the approaching ships and orders them shot down. Two of the shuttles are destroyed, but the third, carrying the mother and daughter, makes landfall in the middle of a residential district filled with sprawling manor houses. The mother carries the daughter off the crashed shuttle as security robots converge on the site, managing to get her to the nearest house and place her on a medical bed that heals the young girl's legs. As the girl stands up, the two are arrested by a robot and deported back to Earth. The following day, Max gets trapped in a kiln in the factory and is exposed to lethal amounts of radiation. He is told he has five days to live and is given a bottle of pills that should help keep him functioning normally until then. He stumbles home, having trouble keeping himself together, even with the pill's help. He decides to see Spider, a local crime boss who organized the earlier shuttle run to Elysium. With the help of his friend Julio, Max makes his way to Spider's den. Spider agrees to send Max to Elysium if Max helps him steal information from the brain of a high-level Elysium official on Earth. Max insists on two conditions, that Julio be part of the team, and that the target be John Carlyle, the man who runs the factory where Max works. The two agree to the deal, and Spider has his men graft an exoskeleton to Max to help him fight Carlyle's robot security guards. Meanwhile, Carlyle is called to Elysium for a secret meeting with Secretary Delacourt. She asks that he write her a program that will restart Elysium's core computer and make her president. In exchange, she promises him a series of lucrative defense contracts once she is in charge. When Carlyle returns to Earth, he writes the reboot program and saves it to his own brain via an implant. He destroys his computer and leaves again for Elysium. As his shuttle takes off, it's attacked by Max and his companions. During the ensuing flight, Carlyle is shot in the chest. Before he dies, Max is able to transfer the contents of Carlyle's brain into his own, including the Elysium restart program. Delacour, alerted to Carlyle's danger, calls in Kruger, one of her agents, to protect him. When Kruger arrives, he kills all of Max's associates, including Julio, but Max is able to escape. Injured, Max goes to Frey looking for help. Frey patches him up and introduces him to her daughter, Matilda, who has leukemia. She asks that Max use the technology on Elysium to heal Matilda, but Max refuses and leaves. Kruger arrives shortly after and kidnaps Frey and her daughter. Max goes to see Spider, who looks at the data that Max was able to steal and realizes that they could use the reboot program to make Elysium's medical technology available to everyone on Earth. Max insists that Spider send him to Elysium, but Delacorte has put the entire city on lockdown and Spider can't get any ships out of the city. Looking for another way to the station, Max draws Kruger to him and offers to trade everything in his head for safe passage to Elysium. Delacorte cancels the lockdown and Kruger's ship leaves for the station, followed shortly after by one of Spider's shuttles. As the ship approaches Elysium, a fright breaks out and Kruger is killed. The ship crashes, but Kruger's goons take Max, Frey, and Matilda into custody. When Frey and Matilda come to, they are taken to the medical bay, where Kruger is reassembled in one of the medical pods. Delacour goes to see him, but he stabs her in the neck and leaves her to die. Kruger dons an exoskeleton-like suit of armor and sets out to hunt Max, who has escaped. Max manages to find Frey and tells her to get Matilda to a medical pod on the surface. He then meets up with Spider, but they are attacked by Kruger before being able to hammer out a plan. Max kills Kruger in the ensuing fight, but his exoskeleton is damaged, and the radiation is visibly taking a toll. Max and Spider make their way to Elysium's core and run the reboot program with a minor change. Instead of making Delacour president, the system reboots with all of Earth's population recognized as legal citizens of Elysium. The medical pod is able to heal Matilda, and ships full of robots and medical pods are immediately dismissed to Earth. 
However, the process kills Max, who is unable to be revived. All right, that was great. I thought that was wonderful. Great summary, James. Thank you. Good job. A plus. Um, yeah, okay. So the thing at the end that was funny is the fact that there's a variable in the <laughs> yep. Elysium reboot protocol for the Earth's population, which can <laughs> yep. be set to some kind of enum, which is legal and illegal. Yep. And this is just a thing that's hanging out there in the code for easy changing <sighs> with a name like that. Also, one thing I that I just couldn't help but notice is that Spider goes and backspaces through the entire word illegal and writes the word legal instead of just deleting the I and L at the beginning. Oh, well, I would definitely do what Spider did. It creates so many more opportunities to fuck it up. Yeah. You only I got two seconds. You got to write out the whole word. It's not even a bool. It's a two-value a two enum. You can't even just be like, Earth's population is legal citizens gets yes or no. No, it's... So it... <laughs> doesn't make any goddamn sense <laughs> this entire okay Watch let's take Elysium a see him with programmers it, yep. let's take a brief yep. minute to talk about this because i alluded to my my feelings towards uh the way programming is depicted in this movie when mm-hmm. corinne you and i were talking uh for context corinne and i are both engineers by by trade and we professionally do this yeah this we is do it every day this is our job it's our job <laughs> um you know, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief. No movie, like, has ever accurately depicted, like, writing computer code, and that's fine. Like, frankly, the best depiction of programming that I've ever seen is the Dark Souls series. So, okay, Claire, were you going to say something? Yeah, it's having to do with coding in Elysium specifically also. Or else, just in sci-fi movies also in general, but it was featured heavily in Elysium. The, like, hacking percentage bar of, like, oh, yeah. I am, like, 65% done hacking. Like, and it's just... Oh no, that's, like, that's, that's, real. that's like, how it looks. That's how it works, right? You just have it. You just, it's just like you know, downloading a song from Kazaa in the late nineties. Yeah, exactly. That's 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 pretty much how it all goes. <laughs> I mean, is that how it came up at the end? Because I like the one that I'm remembering is the like the data transfer where it feels like a forgivable offense. Almost. Yeah, I it, there were I think there was at least one it other. It comes up several times. Yeah, I think there was at least one other instance because I remember I remember thinking the same thing. I was like, yeah, it was a bit weird, but okay. And then it happened again. I was like, yeah, yeah all right, <laughs> too much. Yeah, um, yeah. So uh, additional just additional questions that I had about this. This one's not so much a programming one, but I really enjoyed how uh, future computers are just a pane of glass that you can read from either side. And so when like uh, oh we forgot to grab his name, but uh, like the the. CEO of the company, the the arms guy, he's going and he's writing the reboot Elysium code and he's being all secretive about it, but he's writing it on a computer that you can read from behind it in an office made of fucking glass. <laughs> <laughs> and then he goes, puts all these protections on it, all that kind of stuff, destroys the computer, all these things. Literally anyone walking by would have seen that code. And now I know, I know what you're thinking, dear listener. It's like, well, you know, someone just you know, kind of walking by a computer code, they wouldn't necessarily understand what it is, right? Not so. There are no fewer than three characters who later in this movie see scrambled, like, assembly code computer garbage and immediately understand it to be Elysium (laughs) reboot code. And one of them is a insane psychopathic, like, murder mercenary. Yeah. So, like, this is got, like, who definitely, like, didn't go to school for this. So, uh, you know. 
this is in a future where it is established in the beginning that even just being able to read is maybe kind of something that's not universally like expected of people. My favorite is Spider's setup. Like is when he Spider's first looking when Spider's first looking at the um at the reboot code and he, on his like twenty five different monitors and everything is flashing like on the screen for half a second and he's able to read it and tell exactly what it is from it literally just being like garbled nonsense that's on screen for about like half a second and also spread out throughout so many different screens. I can look at code that I wrote and not be 100% sure I could tell you what class it was a part of. Not for everything, but not, cl- and again, not classes in for school, classes in class within like the structure of programming. Um, let alone what it would necessarily be as part of like the whole system. Don't know, many things I could, but it is highly unlikely that you'd be able to watch just like assembly garbage on your 25 screens flashing through for two seconds and be like, oh, this is the keys to the kingdom. With this, we could, like, make everyone citizens. I mean, maybe he just saw that one, like, Earth's population gets illegal variable and, like, had that idea. But <laughs> it literally, uh, they just go and they stopped at the end for half a second before they blinked out. And he's like, oh, citizens equal illegal. Perfect. Okay. Yeah. If we change that, yeah. It was... <laughs> My other favorite thing is, like, when they reboot Elysium, they literally, like, the lights go out on Elysium. It's like, so they're completely restarting the entire thing. Does that mean, like, life support went off for a second? Like, what is the purpose of the lights turning off for rebooting just, like, that part of the system? I I literally thought the same thing. Thousands of people died. Yeah. Like, it almost looks like it stopped spinning briefly, which is what would give a, a ring station like that its gravity. So, like, I guess everyone just kind of floats up for a second. I I thought the exact same thing. I was like, wait, really? That was tied to literally everything? Like, I get that it's, like, you know, the core code, whatever. But you don't have, like, a backup generator? You know, for a second? If the power went off, how did it... How did it, like, turn itself back on? The only independent system in Elysium is one of those, like, little, like, hand-in-a-box things that, like, yeah, it, just it just comes out and presses a button and goes back in it again. And that button off. is the reboot button for Elysium. <laughs> like, I understand. Like, it could, theoretically, it could restart itself, but it looks like it turned off its own source of power. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe it has, like, some amount of battery. I, I don't understand. Like, it looked like it pulled the plug on itself. And again, all of which is fine. Like, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief for, like, how machines work in any kind of movie like this. None of these are my actual problems with the movie. However. <laughs> there are a lot of them. They are hilarious. I just, the whole mentality around changing that variable and rebooting Elysium, like, they did it illegally. Like, they they changed the core code of Elysium. It can just be changed back yeah it seems not that hard to just undo what they just did right there's nothing about like there's nothing that gives it a real sense of permanence there's no like well i think it was kind of specifically uh implied i guess that the guy who the the ceo guy who wrote the code was like the guy who knew how to write that sort of code yeah and so i guess it's that like when when max dies uh like the code dies with him and it was like only stored in his brain and 
So then now you can't redo this without having to, like, figure out how to write that all again. Yeah, that seems highly unlikely. Yeah. Based on, I don't know, everybody's technical aptitude in this universe. Uh, yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but um... but the only people with technical aptitude were that guy and all of the citizens of Earth. Exactly. <laughs> so <laughs> nobody on Elysium can actually change the programming yeah. because they don't know how. They don't know how to do it. Yeah. All right, should we get into some of, like, the actual issues with the movie and like these are all like this is all like fun goofy bullshit but yeah we should probably talk about the real stuff there's one that comes to mind immediately for me which is something that like has (laughs) we've also dealt with and other things we've talked about but i don't i don't like the whole thing about okay if we have a female character who is in some kind of danger in a movie automatically at some point there's going to be like the threat of rape and like Charlotte Copley's character, who's uh, Kruger, right? Yes. Um, is, like, super creepy with Frey. And it didn't, like, feel necessary or, like, it moved the plot along. And it just kind of, like, made her more into a prop. And I was just not really into it. And not that, like... I didn't feel that any of the characters had a super, super meaningful arc or, like, were really, really fleshed out in a way that made me connect with them. So it's not so much like, oh, like, she felt flat compared to everyone else. Everyone felt a little bit flat to me, but it was just like, oh, she, like, there's this woman and her child, and they're going to be kind of taking on this role of, like, the endangered woman stereotype. And I don't know. The threat of, like, that whole, the, like, sexual predator thing just doesn't really... I, I don't like it being used so lightly and, like, as a throwaway thing. Yeah, and what was like and what was especially weird about that, I guess, in a in a really terrible way was that like Matt Damon didn't seem to suffer any man pain from that. Like he was like, "Oh, I don't like that." But like overall, seemed pretty kind of just like, "Ah, it's shitty. Well, better get on with what I'm doing." Like he didn't like it didn't even seem to affect him that much. You know what I mean? Like I don't know. It was weird. I'm trying to remember how much of it he saw. Which is not to say that, like, I, I don't think he saw. I, I'm genuinely just trying to remember what uh, what creepy scenes occurred when he was uh, there on the ship with them versus when he was not. He he definitely did see Kruger getting all up in her personal space and yeah. being creepy before, like, he got distracted by some dude and Kruger teleported to him. Right, okay. Which is legitimately what I think happened. <laughs> <laughs> he only gets the one teleport and he burned it on that. Yeah. That was an unfortunate decision. Yeah, no, I and I feel like they, they did a fine job of establishing Kruger's character as like bad and scary and creepy. Like it, it, it doesn't even feel like it's a like a lazy shortcut to like making him out to be the bad guy because he's pretty effectively awful. Already. Yeah, it feels very unnecessary. Not that it would necessarily be necessary in some other context, but I don't even see like a like I, I can't even sit there and say like, well, maybe this was like the reasoning again. Not that that would make it like. Right, okay, like it, it but... would never actually be necessary, but you there's times when it's used, and you can like, okay, well, I can understand the thought process of the people who decided to put this in there, but like, I can't even go that far. Like, I can't understand the the decision to do it because they hadn't lacked for making him awful in other ways, you know? Yeah, that was weird. I thought Kruger was pretty unnecessary. I That's agree. what I was thinking, like the entire time. Like he was just super irrelevant. Like, he could have just been, he could have not been brought back on 
when the thing with the code happened, right? Yeah. Like, if he had just been the agent who had fired the missiles and who then had been discharged, like, he would have served his purpose as, like, demonstrating a part of how that, like, you know, part of how Elysium interacts with the, the regular planet. And that could have been it. Yeah. And he would have served that, like, story beat purpose and that expositional purpose. And we could have had, you know, a much better third act, probably. Yeah. He was just kind of weird. I, or even then, like, I feel like there are other ways that you could have reworked that character of, like, the, I don't know, like, the that main, like, it physical antagonist. Like, the one who's right there, like, in your space, actively confronting the protagonist. I don't know, just, like, a much more interesting way. I feel like even, like, it, that, and that even could have gone to, to Delacorte if they didn't want her to be the, the Palpatine figure. Right. Um, for those of you without access to our, our notes, we have, uh categorized everyone in by their uh, uh prequels era star war equivalent except uh, for max who is categorized as matt damon yeah who i guess is just prequels era matt damon i mean matt damon is just always matt damon wherever yeah wherever he is yeah he's, he's prequels era matt damon um so matt damon from the 90s yeah um but yeah so i don't know well and then i guess uh, julio we gave obi-wan who is prequels, but also a New Hope era. Obi-Wan. Spoilers for Star Wars Episode Four. Yeah, um, I mean, we're pretty specifically likening him to Episode yeah. Four Obi-Wan. Yeah. He breaks down a little bit. Anyway, uh, point is, so I, I feel like you know, if, if Kruger is the Darth Maul character in this, and Delacorte is intended to be the Palpatine, like I, I feel like I understand that dynamic, but I feel like in something like this, I think it would have been a lot easier to even just have Delacorte be like a more active. Yeah, like exactly. Uh, To go to go for Vader, someone who is scary as like a leader, but also an active threat in like a a meaningful, like face to face sort of way. Alternatively, if they had leaned harder into the heist and infiltration beats of the movie, Hmm. um, if the agent had instead of being this like insane psychopathic like physical murder monster if they had instead been implanted into spider's group and been a part of uh the team that infiltrated elysium that could have been another interesting way to handle it yeah i just thought i don't know kruger just didn't feel like good yeah obviously he was a bad guy but like i i just good in the story yeah yeah i thought i don't know I i feel like they needed a smarter villain i guess you know i think that's a good way to put it like Delacorte was very much like this ruthless, like heartless, just militaristic fist of power. And it feels strange that she would rely so heavily on this dumb, dangerous, loose cannon. It felt very out of, out of character that she would have so unreliable a henchman. Yeah. I mean, I love Jodie Foster. Um, in general but i also you know the antagonists of this film didn't feel super compelling to me like i like to really like the villains of a movie i mean not like think they're great people but like to feel that they're very distinct and that i understand their motives and that they're interesting and like a little bit nuanced and jodie foster is an excellent actor like like to watch anything jodie foster is in literally um but with Delacorte, I just didn't feel like I understood anything about her 
except for the ver- in only like very broad like comic booky cartoonish strokes and th- th- like that's like old fashioned comic booky when i say that not like current day comic booky where we do actually have like a lot of really compelling interesting nuanced characters but she was just i don't know she seemed very typical sci-fi villain who hasn't really been thought out too much and if Jodie Foster and I think that had to do with the writing like Jodie Foster could pull off like a very interesting character easily and has yeah I agree uh she feel I, I think that you uh, yeah I think that you now right on the head you understand her in broad strokes and I think it's because her character is broad strokes like she's one of the most frustrating I, I think her character is one of the most frustrating casualties of this movie clearly having like capital s something to say in that most of her dialogue is explaining the allegory to the viewer. You know, it, that she actively goes out and she talks about illegals and deportation and literally homeland security. Like, what the yeah. fucking fuck? Like, you can't, you can't even, like, mix the words up a little bit and try and disguise it. Station security. Yeah. Oh, God. Like, home station security. Or like, like, some some even, like, vague garbage attempt at, like, obscuring what you're trying to say would have would have gone a long way. But I, I feel like that's the big thing. I feel like her character is so much a casualty of wanting to say something and not trusting your audience. I think that for me, that is the core issue here, is that I don't feel like Blumkamp trusts the audience to understand what he's trying to say unless he just paints it in huge like block letters in Spanish and in French to indicate that, like, oh, like, they're fancy on Elysium. They speak French there. Like, hey, fuck that shit. Like, it's... And even then, like, I feel like that introduces more problems than it tries to solve. Because it has... It it leans so heavily on this weird understanding of, like... it Fanciness of languages. I don't know. It... I understand, like, making Spanish, I guess, the chief language of Earth. If you're talking very specifically in the sense of the allegory of going from South Central America to the United States. But then that weird addition of French, I, maybe it's maybe it's skipping the United States completely and we're just, I'm just being like America-centric and his real imagination is that they're going from South Central America to Canada. And like, that's the thing. Elysium is Canada. They've got, oh shit, maybe that's it. They've got healthcare, they speak English and French. That's the whole thing, except they, they operate like Americans. I don't know. But whatever it is, it's so it's so much. And you just lose like a proper story because of it. I don't know. And even the the uh the CEO guy. Like at the beginning when like Max is like has been irradiated and he's like on the like on the like the doctor bed and like doctor bots like throwing pills at him and being like, sign here for meds and he comes in and he's just like, oh, is he, like, shedding skin? Like, I don't want to have to, like, replace the cloth on, like, that table. He's such an awful caricature of himself that it completely undercuts the message. Like, it just make the villain so comically evil that it lose. I feel like it loses all of that stuff that it's trying to say because the actual issues are complicated. And I think that Blomkamp is trying to point towards even what I would generally agree with. But to go out and, like, make it as though it's, like, no, it's all just like weird and arbitrary because comic book villains, and again, uh, using the same nomenclature as Cleo, is like comic book villains as in like golden age comic book villains, where you could totally get away with 
this guy's a bad guy because he's a bad guy. Like, he's bad and you know he's bad because he's got a skull and it's red. And, like, you know, oh, by the way, he's a Nazi. And you just go into that and it's like, yeah, no, like, it's, oh. It was so frustrating because I feel like there's such a better thing there. I also have to say, I, like, I don't understand why it was a problem, like, giving out these healing beds to the people of Earth. I don't understand. Like, like, it literally cost Elysium nothing. Not not their time, not their thought, not their money, not their power. As far as we were told, this was just a thing that everybody could use as much as they wanted, whenever they wanted, didn't cost them any money, they just had it. And also, there were big old spaceships full of robots and beds who were willing to do all the work. And ready to go. Yeah. It took 60 seconds for those ships to launch after rebooting, and they're just like, oh, must go to Earth, people needed medical care. And it's just like, it, they're ready, and they're just there. Yeah, it like it, I think the the real the the thing about you know the thing that makes healthcare such a big issue is that I'm gonna I'm not an expert in this, but as far as I understand, is there are finite resources that need to be distributed to a lot of people, and as as we ha- our system exists right now, that costs money. And it turns out healthcare is way more complicated than anyone expected. <laughs> but, you know, those basic principles all seem to be yeah. completely thrown away yeah. in Elysium where it doesn't cost money, it's not finite, and there are a lot of people, but yeah, we can, we'll get through them in like a couple months. And they've just got ships of it ready to go. Yeah. It, it honestly seemed like Elysium was holding it back just to say, nah, 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 you can't have health care. What if yeah, they, were like just... they, they cast them as these people who like, we need to have this just so that we can be better than everyone else. And it's almost like somebody in like Elysium's government got as far as creating a program that would give a limited amount of resources to Earth. And they got as far as loading up ships to do so. And then somebody was like, no, no, yeah, no and we're scrapping this. And it just never... They never did anything about it. I, I don't. And Congress just gutted it. Like, I feel, I, w- I remember the first time I was watching Elysium, I had the thought, okay, so what they're going to eventually end up revealing is that the reason that, the, you know, every single, okay, every mansion on Elysium seems to have these, like, you know, magical healing beds that take longer to scan you than they do to actually, like, fix your cancer. Um, and the reason, like, why they're not sending these to Earth is because Earth is overpopulated and they want people to die out so that the population can like settle like that, like go down a little bit. And they're going to reveal that that's like the motive for why they're keeping these healing, healing bed pod things from them or like something that at least makes it a little bit like, at least gives us a reason for like why, like when they have, as it turns out, ships loaded up, ready to go with these like medical station bed things, like why they weren't deploying those at all. It seemed like, but it never, yeah, it's like never, it's never resolved in any way whatsoever. There's not one reason given. And honestly, like we can, we can speculate on a number of different things that are, you know, paper thin, but at least something. Well, I mean, what if, what if they were just like getting ready to surprise Earth for their birthday, <laughs> you know, and they had all this ready to go or like an anniversary present, you know? And they're just like, oh, you know, surprise, we brought you health care. And, and they were, man, they were like 24 hours away. They'd been keeping this secret for years and years and years. And they were just ready to go. And then they had to go and ruin the whole thing. 
you know, that's what they wanted. And now Elysium looks like the bad guys. But in reality, they were, you know, they were a day away from just sending it all down. Yeah. I mean, like I said, we can, we can conjecture all we want. And I'll, I'll put that as like maybe top five possible reasons. I'd say so. That makes um, the most sense. We can conjecture all we want, but the fact is that we don't we don't have anything. We have nothing in the movie to suggest why they were holding this back, and it just seems just it's it's bonkers. It's just flat out bonkers. You know what else is bonkers regarding healing beds? The fact that Matt Damon didn't take two fucking seconds to sit in a healing bed and be cured of his radiation poisoning, so that he could run around and and like save the population of Earth without feeling like shit. Yeah, apparently it takes no time at all. It takes no time at all, and it is already established there is a healing bed in the room where he freed where Frey he and her daughter. There's one in that room, and he didn't use it. It would have taken two seconds. They had a lot of downtime where nothing was coming at them. I forgot about that part. And he had the code on his arm. He yeah, could have just used it. He was it's citizen. not even like he didn't try to use it and like, oh, Elysium Security has scrambled the whatever and now it's bad and he'll only be healed if he resets the station. Nope. Yeah. Just flat out didn't take the, the, the minute, the less than a minute it would have taken to be fine. Instead, he mainlined eight pills of ineffective radiation poisoning yeah. amelioration just and, right away. Yeah. and then just was like i'm gonna do this anyway because i'm tough and shit i don't know it was really dumb he should have just they have healing beds literally like like spit like you open a closet in elysium and healing beds just spill yes. out and you're like oh well, oh sorry sorry i was sweeping up earlier and i didn't know where to put them yeah and he didn't he couldn't take two seconds to just find one and be better like we we might not have explicitly seen them, but I'm sure throughout the entirety of the third act, from the point when he freed them to the end of the movie, he passed at least a dozen. Yep, yep. I'm, yeah, I'm very willing to bet he could have taken. Like honestly, Kruger was walking at him menacingly. He could have ta- he could have taken the time from spotting Kruger, gotten a healing bed, healed himself, and gotten out again before Kruger had even like arrived. He could have just been walking menacingly at him down a hallway. It seems, yeah. I think so. Also, why does t- extracting the that data from Matt Damon's head kill him? Like, I just didn't... Why? I don't understand. Well, the, I don't think it's the data that kills him. It's the radiation, right? Because he never actually... Is it? No, it's very explicitly the data Extraction of the data. Mm, fuck. Yeah. It's, just, it's like, I just did not understand why that was. Like, they're not literally, like, wrenching a part of his brain out. Like, I don't understand... Well, well, data keeps radiation at bay. So, like, when they removed the data, then the radiation got him. You know, it, honestly, it, it, it kind of seemed to me that, like, running the program on his brain computer was the thing that did it. But yeah. also, like, nobody has a flash drive. Like, yeah. like seriously? <laughs> yeah, that was weird. Also, if you're making a, a piece of computer code that's going to be transferred around in your brain, why would you make it break your brain when it runs? That seems like a really, really poor design decision. Well, it was scrambled. I don't know. I don't even know what that means, but people kept telling us it was scrambled, so... I can't read this code. It's scrambled. All right. Okay. Well, but everybody could read it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Except everyone could read it and it runs. Yeah. So what? Scrambled? I guess scrambled in this world means like... Murder code. Yeah, it just breaks the thing it runs on. But same question. Nobody had a flash drive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no. I was just going to say, I wish now in grad school when, like, I turned in my code, my, like, programming homework, and it didn't work. 
I could have just been like, I'm sorry, it's scrambled. But yeah, like, even when the guy put, like, the security on it, and it was just like, do you want to set your security phasers to stun or kill? And he's like, kill. And, like, it's a whole weird thing. And I guess that's supposed to be it. That, But I don't, like, I don't know. But they transfer it. They steal it from his brain. Matt Damon's got it in his head for, like, the whole movie. Like, I don't. Also, and, and you maybe, can you get to run it before it kills you? I don't get it. Maybe flash drives just don't exist in this world, because apparently the only way to transfer data is in your brain. I mean, when you've got that, you know, just on hand all the time. Maybe you don't need a flash drive. God, I've... I've I mean, at least in... I'm willing... That's one thing that, that didn't cause me a lot of, like... Like, I look at it, and it's like, if you're going to create, like, code that's going to literally unseat the the president of this, you know, alternate country thing whatever um you're, you're probably going to keep store it as securely as is humanly possible and a flash drive on your person is a lot less secure than you know your brain yeah but why didn't they steal it on a, why didn't they steal it onto a flash drive why do they have to steal it onto someone else's brain no, well, true. right right why i don't know and even then like is is elysium quite so like tied to their like computer system that they could reboot the whole thing and it'd be like ah delacorte's president now and everyone would just be like well that's just the way it is yeah it's the same conceit as the fucking illegal citizens right like well i think specifically in this case she would have ultimate authority over the robots yeah i guess it would be that but it would be like a military coup like yeah she would have all the power and they would have to launch a resistance against her to change it back. But at something. the same time, the robots explicitly can't injure a citizen of Elysium. So, like, what are they going to do? <laughs> they can't even arrest a citizen of Elysium. So are they just assuming that nobody in Elysium's ever going to commit a crime? Like, that... Because the only thing that they changed the code was changing it from illegal to legal. And so... Because then, like, the robots come, they're like, I'm sorry, I cannot arrest a citizen of Elysium, which means that they could never have arrested a citizen of Elysium, which suggests all sorts of weird, complicated shit about the legal system (laughs) and, like, policing on Elysium. I don't know. It's just... The more we dig into it, the more problems there are. Honestly, I think... Yeah, I think we might just want to stop. We might... There's too many holes in this movie. We we might just want to, like stop trying to pick apart this plot i guess i don't know yeah. let's let's talk about something this else. is a bad rabbit hole yeah I, we just keep uncovering more and more problems and it i, I don't know i'm starting <laughs> to feel a little mean <laughs> i yeah i i would agree with that i think it's a fair i think it's a fair assessment of, of how i'm feeling right now which which is really too bad because I, I feel like i can't stress enough that i genuinely do think that structurally speaking there were some really interesting things going on in this movie. I think I genuinely think that this is a really interesting uh, way of imagining a a cyberpunk, a, a more modern cyberpunk thing that keeps, I think, a lot of the stuff that really kind of makes the genre unique and our core to the genre and changes a lot of the other stuff. I feel like it reminds me a lot of our sci-fi noir conversations. We were talking about like, yeah, well, when's someone going to do a sci-fi noir thing that's like not just Blade Runner again? I feel like this is this is close. Like it's certainly not noir. Don't get me wrong, but I feel like it does keep a lot of the the interesting aspects to again cyberpunk, which is we established as kind of an, an offshoot of noir. Uh, it feels like a an really interesting take on that. The whole like heist elements, the kind of 
Undercity kind of thing. The it it really felt like it was doing some really interesting stuff on on those levels. At least, at least I thought. Um, yeah, I I agree. Like for all the plot holes that we keep pulling out, like we said before, there's a good movie buried in here somewhere, uh, and it just, just seems like. It seems like too much attention was paid to the wrong things. Like, I mean, we've talked about the heavy-handedness of the plot. Kruger got too much screen time. There, was, there wasn't there was enough screen time establishing the actual important stuff. The villains, the motivations, like... Yeah. Some better, like, details and explanations of how the world works, I guess, to, to make it... To make us care why any of this matters... Um, a better story arc for Max than understanding why the hippo helps the meerkat. Yeah, that was, <laughs> God, that was terrible. There was, yeah, there was just so much attention put into making sure the message was as clear as humanly possible that everything else about the movie suffered. And then also the message suffered too, because yeah, when it's that on the, the nose, it's not any good. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, and it's not that it's going back to the, Sorry, going back to, like, the meerkat hippo thing, because that just reminded me, a lot of movies kind of rely on, like, oh, here's, like, a cute kid's story that's going to be, like, summarizing the entire message that we're trying to get across, and it's going to be, like, really heavy-handed and kind of, like, awful. Um, But there's also a way to do that that actually, like, really, really works nicely and is, like, a little bit poetic and not just, like, cheesy and just over the top. And you can see that in things like crying game where they have to talk about like the the toad and the scorpion um and so there are like really nice ways to do that that are like yeah there is some kind of message here and like it can be boiled down to this like children's story um like that's like when you boil it down it can be that simplified but it's not like the whole movie doesn't feel like it's the whole thing's been very simplified yeah. yeah, and on top of that, it's another instance of, like, sort of, like, classic genre thing and Max's character being largely unaffected by it mm. until suddenly he wasn't. I don't know. I, I don't... He didn't... There was no setup to me that said that Max was thinking about this and like caring about it until suddenly at the end he was like, I understand the hippopotamus. No, you fucking don't. You didn't hear the, even hear the end of her story. The hippopotamus wants a friend. Okay, great. Like this isn't you getting a friend. This is you sacrificing your life for something. Yeah. Clearly established the hippopotamus and the meerkat became friends and they like enjoyed fruit together. Not the point of the story. I feel like the other thing is it doesn't take a lot of imagination to understand what the hippo would get out of this, right? Like if, if the meerkat couldn't reach the fruit by itself, the hippo probably can't either. You know, hippos can't like get up on their hind legs and like yeah. eat the fruit from the trees. So if we're talking about fruit that the meerkat needs to stand on the hippo to get, my guess is that the meerkat's getting some fruit for the hippo too. Yeah. But also that's not what Max learned. No, I'm just saying like even then, like the, the allegorical story, I feel like was also not really well thought through. Yeah. I don't I, I don't imagine that the hippo was like rolling in fruit before this. Like it feels like kind of a I scratch your back, you scratch mine, or rather a you stand on my back, you get us both fruit. Yeah. Like I don't I don't think it's a hard story to like come up with some better like better but also worse moral like 
solution to. Like, that doesn't serve anything. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, I feel like, I feel like they sort of just kept throwing expected tropes at Max, but also that his character was unaffected by any of them. Yeah. Which was, like, that's the most hilarious thing I've, I can think of is you put in all these cliches, but then like, there's no payoff. Yeah, none, none <laughs> is, of that. Which is hilarious. Basically, if you're gonna watch this movie, don't think about it too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I liked it a lot more when I just watched it and laughed at the code thing at the end. Now that we're actually pointing out all these problems, I'm like, wow, it really sucked. <laughs> yeah. yep. Yikes. And like I can suspend disbelief. I don't need every movie to be perfect. All of those things, but it just seems like it. Just it. The core. The core making of the movie seems to have like made. I would say one or two really big fundamental mistakes that very much spilled out into the rest of the movie and really just kind of poisoned the well pretty early on. Yeah. So on that happy note, uh, we done here. <laughs> I guess so. I can't really think of anything else to to say about it. That's not just heaping more shit on it. I, I'm really looking forward to talking about this in the context of the other things when we talk specifically about like the the whole like syncopated worlds idea and the kind of privileged few versus the people of Los Angeles. Yeah, I think this movie <laughs> is strongest conceptually, which is why I'm still excited to talk about it in the context of other things. I'm doubly excited to talk about the ways that uh, other things do a better, worse, or similar job to this in uh, getting that message across. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think that that's going to be... I That, I think, is the part of the topic episode that I'm most excited about. Uh, plug for the episode that'll be coming out for y'all in about a month. Um, so, I, I'm, I genuinely think that while this movie by itself was not very good, I, I actually think it'll be a, a really interesting touchstone for that conversation yep yeah uh yeah so on that note that's something we can all look forward to um <laughs> and that'll be in about in about, about a month unless you're listening to this late in which case you can listen to it right now i guess but anyway but uh two weeks though we will be doing bioshock infinite we'll be taking a another look at a a world with some class divides that might have some problems um particularly with action sequences um storytelling aside you know we'll get into that next time uh anything else for this one good to wrap that's wrap all right thank you so much for listening thanks for listening to this episode of read watch play if you want to help us out the best thing you can do is tell your friends about the show you can also rate and review us on itunes if you want to find us on social media you can follow us on twitter and instagram at rwp podcast like us on facebook at facebook.com slash rwp podcast Check out our Tumblr at rwppodcast.tumblr.com and look for our game streams on twitch.tv slash rwppodcast. It's not as catchy, but... I and mean, we don't even have to call it any of those things. I was just having fun with it. Virtual <laughs> I I like love. I don't think I can say that with a straight face. Nope. I don't think you can either. <laughs> no, I have, that's why I didn't do it. <laughs>